Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom is built for your psychology and your biology, meeting you where you are. Noom Weight uses psychology. That's why they say losing weight starts with your brain. But it also takes into account your unique biological factors, which also affect weight loss success. The program helps you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have cravings. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Plus, check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available for pre-order wherever books are sold. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 134. Hey, Matt, Joan, and I are coming around the country to perform live for you guys. We'll do podcasts in front of you. <laughs> You'll basically pay us like monkeys to do a podcast in front of you. Uh, but they're actually a lot of fun. We're going to be in Portland on the 22nd of this month. Uh, and then on November 6th, we'll be in D.C. And then Northampton, Massachusetts on November 8th. So come out and say hi. Hug us. We have new t-shirts. Take a picture with us. We'll sign your boobs, even if you're a dude. So get tickets uh, and more information at Nerdist.com. Also, the Nerdist Way book is coming out November 1st. You can get details about that on Nerdist.com as well. And I'd like to thank our continuing sponsor to the Nerdist podcast, GoToMeeting, with HD Faces Now, high-definition group video conferencing. Um, you can share any document on your computer screen with everyone in, in your online meeting, and you can see their immediate reactions in high def. Um, facial expressions express so much more than just, yeah, it's really great, Bill. So check it out now. You can use GoToMeeting for product reviews, demos, sales presentations, training sessions, status meetings, everything from your desk. Sign up today for a free 30-day trial of GoToMeeting. Hold all the meetings you want for one low flat rate. Phone and voice over IP conferencing is included for free. So visit GoToMeeting.com and enter the promo code NERDIST. And now let us get into the mindset of focusing on this episode, which is with the amazing and articulate and brilliant John Hodgman, one of my favorite people. If you go back and listen to our Neil Gaiman episode, you will learn that Hodgman should be feared and revered. We recorded this episode several weeks ago. There's actually an eerie amount of Steve Jobs talk in it. Uh, this is before Steve passed away. Uh, but I had held on to the episode. I was trying to get a little bit closer to the release of John's book, which is called That Is All, a book of final world knowledge. It's going to come out on uh, November 1st, the same day as my book. Um, and so that's why I held on to it. Just wanted a little bit closer to, to, to John's book release. But here it is. Uh, unfortunately, Matt Myra was not able to join us for this episode because he was sick. Somebody had the flu or something. So uh, here it is, recorded at uh, John's hotel room with Jonah Ray and myself. The Nerdist Podcast episode number 134. Fear Hodgman. Now entering Nerdist.com.
Oh, wait. I wasn't recording that at all. Oh, okay. Well, let's start again. All right. <laughs> I thought so I then, uh, okay, all right. Waking so you live, did the part um, about panic suites. <laughs> waking live, move over So here. where do the pictures go in there? <laughs> John, I'm going to take twenty five to 27,000 pictures of you yeah. and then drop them in and we're going to animate. Right, because I'm on television. Joni, you're slurping. Mm-hmm. Joni, you're slurping. Mm-hmm. You're slurping coffee. Sorry, I'm sorry. Edit point. Uh, And we're starting. We are here in the mega suite of John Hodgman. Well, wait a minute. What? It's a normal sized suite. Well, but if I lived in a third world country, this, you know, I could raise a family in here. No, that's true. Yeah. That's true. And I do have have, uh, bunkers for mules and chickens. What were we talking about before we started recording? (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about. I said. I said. Do it again. I said. I got nothing on that. Okay. I said this place is awesome. You said this is my panic suite. Right. We'll take it from there. I can do that. Okay. 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 What is this room? Wait. What? I don't understand. Wow. This is this is a really nice suite here. It's my panic suite. So, John, you're saying that when you get nervous, you fly from your home in New York to no, this I, L.A. I, no, I maintain safe houses okay. in every U.S. state. But shouldn't it be, like, near your home in the vicinity of where you live? Well, no, but when the coming global superpocalypse comes, I don't know whether I'm going to be in California or Massachusetts or New York. What about Oregon? No, no, those are the states. Oh, okay, those right. are the three. Oh, wait, I'm yeah. not recording. Oh, wait, I wasn't supposed to say that part. Wouldn't it be easier just to pull a Voldemort and divide your soul up into a series of horcruxes that you place in objects around the world with spells guarding them? First of all, every time you do that, you destroy your soul a little bit. A little bit. And, you know, you lose your nose. Yep. And I'm on The Daily Show, so I can't be going on there with, you know, slit nostrils. Why couldn't you be uh, slit nostrils on The Daily Show? I feel like that would be a really fun hook to have for a while. Well, I could see that. Do you know what I mean? But I feel like so much... Anger has already been generated because I grew a mustache. Yep. I think to go with slit nostrils in the same year, I think it would just be... Are people really that mad that you grew a mustache? There there are a couple of reactions. Yes. There are the people who go... um, And and this is generated from from Twitter. Mm -hmm. From Twitter. My everyday interactions with uh, normal humans on the street. Mm -hmm. You're referring to me when you said that? Sure, normal. Mm -hmm. My uh, my colleagues at the at the Daily Show with John Stewart, sure, and my family and friends, mm-hmm. and the reactions typically are about this: it's about seventy percent of them say, "Get that thing off your face, <laughs> pedophile." Right, <laughs> comma pedophile in the vocative case, like you, we are addressing you. That, yes. Okay. It's not like they have Tourette syndrome. You okay. Okay. I just say it in pedophile. places. Yeah, I just say it sometimes in places. Yeah. Oh. And then a certain portion. Uh, so that's about I'd say seventy percent. And then uh, uh, I would say about twenty percent are what's up with that mustache, mm-hmm. yo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Verbatim, they say that verbatim. Mm-hmm. Those people are all Jesse Pinkman on Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> what's up with that mustache, bitch? Not Aaron Paul, the character of the Jesse character Pinkman. Jesse, yeah, yeah. The character of Jesse Pinkman yeah. calls me up all the time. Yeah. <laughs> hey, bitch. And then that's <laughs> uncanny. Yeah. And then there are ten percent who say I really like that mustache. Including my wife. And those are the liars. I'll tell you why I like the mustache, because it is a robust mustache. Yeah. Like, it's not... Robusto. A robustache. Yeah. Yeah. Some people... Some people... Some people... Uh, 
white guys, as we are very white guys, sure. when they try to grow the mustache, it's very stringy. Yeah. And yeah. it's almost as, no, but you're still as full enough. Like, uh, if some, you let it go, you... I have let it go. Yeah. Um, and... And I notice you also go for the soul patch along with the mustache. Yeah. Do you feel that's more of a Van Dyke, though? But I, uh, the mm, isn't it? No, isn't it the Van Dyke Van, with the mustache and the little piece under your? Lip? I call it the Zappa. No, Van Dyke. You so, got to have some on the chin. You got to have some chin. Uh, yeah. Chin action. Which, what What was known in the late '90s and even on to today is a goatee. In the I, 1790s, or the? Do you mean the? Oh no, I'm sorry. I'm talking about the 20th century. Oh, okay. I'm it's, sorry. I'm an expert in the 20th. Century. Okay. 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 I know you love the 18th century. I think it's so great. Yeah, I mean, Victorian children being punished. I mean, the mortality rate was laughably high. I mean, things were great for time. wealthy white people then. Yeah, they yeah, really yeah, were yeah. great. Okay. Uh, but the, I, I believe, and I'm going to stand by this belief, okay. that the what, what everyone has called a goatee, since one emerged on Matthew Perry's face in Friends, mm-hmm. is a Van Dyke. And a goatee is simply chin hair, nothing else. Now, if I had a comedy record scratch to put on right now, I would because because I'm wrong. No, no, oh. because I think you've just rocked, you've just rocked the facial hair world. I've just, yeah. I've just broken popular culture. A lot of people listening to this podcast just went, "What the fuck!" Exactly. Like in their buses Easy. or Easy in their everybody. gyms. I've caused we should, accidents. We should yes. call Whisker Wars and let them know what's Whisker going on. Whisker Wars. I could be wrong, and I know that everyone will let me know that I am wrong. But I think that that's what. It but John is an expert on everything. How do you feel that when people try to tell you something and you know you're right, do you respond to these claims or do you just kind of have to know, like, well, I know I'm right and that person is clearly having I guess I am, I am, like, for example, now when I'm, I'm, I'm really planting a flag on mm-hmm. this definition of goatee, yep. which I realize is controversial. It is. I, I, I have to be, I, I am a little nervous about it. Mm-hmm. I, I confess to you. Okay. And I'm not like a normal, like, Jonah would just say whatever no, he wants. No. It's everyone farts. Expects, yeah, everyone see, you don't wrong. even know what's going to come out of this yeah, guy. You weren't supposed to say farts then, by the way. No. Pedophile. So. I think you, by the way, that would be a fun way to find pedophiles is you just go into public and just say it out loud, yeah. like, pedophile. Well, looks, and yeah, then someone who like, him, get him. Yeah. yeah. Get that guy in the trench coat running oh. away. <laughs> With two little tiny sets right. of Jonah, legs coming out under now the I'm ner- Jonah, go get my info box. Go get my mother box from the, uh, from the desk there. The, um, yes, thank you. All right. <laughs> oh, someone's calling me. Sorry. Podcasting is more important than human connection. I want to uh, apologize for Matthew Myra, who is also usually on the podcast, who is such a huge fan of yours and huh. wanted to come to this podcast. <laughs> so, uh, right. <laughs> what I'm about to say sounds like bullshit. He yeah. actually did get food poisoning. Oh really? He got, he had gotten off work, and, and my was, plan worked. Yes, yes. <laughs> you you hobbled him. I poisoned intestinally. His, I poisoned his figs while they were still on the tree, since <laughs> I knew he liked possible. to pick them and prepare I them. I tell himself. him not to pick the figs off the tree. I say go to the farmer's market. Yeah, exactly. You we know? live in a like in a, in a place where we can do that. We don't yeah. have to pick fruit on the tree. Don't pick fruit off the tree where you see John Hodgman nearby with a, with a device, one of those tanks where he's spraying. Um, just don't go into John Hodgman's property name for that. Yeah, property. Don't just, go to New York. To, don't come to John Hodgman's panic safe house. Yeah, yeah. While you while you guys talk about this, I'm, I'm, what did you find out? I'm going to go into the vault <laughs> and, ten, and, ten, and tend to the stables here at the panic suite, and then I'll and then I'll come back. Yeah. And I'm going to check my canned goods supply, and then I'll come back. It's so just, weird that he broke into the safe house's uh, green room. Yeah. Where he had the fig tree and then was able to pick it. Yeah. What do you call a safe in a safe house? Is it a safe safe house? It's a safe house safe. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. sorry. Safe safe house. 
No. No. That would be a safe house inside of a safe house. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I love the it idea. It would be a safe house once once the idea of a safe house had be become so common yeah. that people presumed that it wasn't actually safe, that mm-hmm. that was just a cliche, yeah. and you had to extra specify a safe safe house. No, I'm talking about a real safe safe This house. is a corner that I can go into that I feel particularly right. safe in so that my safe houses become something of a nesting doll right. paradigm. Right, exactly. Or a safe house, or it's a, it's a safe house in the sense that it is uh, protected from intruders, mm-hmm. uh, but you've also gotten rid of all of the sharp corners <laughs> and open electrical outlets. It's a baby-proof it's safe house. It's a baby-proof house. safe house. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you have to baby-proof your safe house. Yes, exactly. Because you don't know. If you're going to have to flee with a baby, it yeah. might not be your baby. What if you... I mean, this is what the this is what that dude in that the road. mustache would indicate that it's not your baby. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> well, that's a, that was the, the classic miscalculation of the man yes. in the road. Yes, that guy was not prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find out what the Van Dyke information? Yeah, I was correct. You were correct. Yes, I was correct. So all this time, like all those sublime fans who have been saying they have goatees. <laughs> but do you know what? It has become, uh, a goatee has become, what's the word? A, a, a vulgar, Stupid? A vulgar common term. Right. Vulgar in the traditional. Right. Non-vulgar specific sense of common term mm-hmm. for any kind of around the mouth facial hair. Well, as as humans, we're it's, generally it's used lazy. In the same way, like a martini. Yeah, could people, mean a beer or a wine, exactly, or a tea, a, a mug full of dirt. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, martini is so ubiquitous in sure. our language. Right. Um, trace jo- back again to the 1700s, arguably the best century. Or they sure. didn't have actual uh, glasses or cups; they just had sticks with plates. Yep, sticks with plates, they, they and then you'd have to them. lick. Yeah. You'd have to lick the. You had to balance. You had to balance the plate, spin it. Mm-hmm. Put your drink on it, yep. and then get it off in centrifugal motion. Yeah, because yeah. The, tra- the, the 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 liquid tangents off, and you just right. you have to guess. And and the really the, wealthy people the Chinese were, invented that. Of yeah, course. yeah, they so were really crazy. <laughs> I just recently realized that nothing makes you feel more like an animal than when you're eating authentic Asian food because they don't have a problem. Like American food has a really good way of disguising that you're eating. I was going to say nothing makes me feel more like an animal than eating cat food. <laughs> The, you mean food made out of cats? Traditional, traditional cat, cat food. food. Yeah, traditional cat food. But but Asian food uh, will they will just leave faces and lips on things and like shrimp yeah. heads and 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 duck faces and yeah and you eat the eyes and yeah. Do you know why? No. Because our culture, the food that we eat, right, that we think is normal in mm-hmm. America, derives from a very specific food culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, of uh, of aristocratic food, okay, in Europe, right? Now, look, and in, in you, look, we both read Game of Thrones. We know what it was like in <laughs> medieval Westeros, right? Oh. Lamprey pies and swan necks all day long. People used to eat all kinds of weird stuff. Well, if you're you fancy, I mean? sure. If you're a Lannister, yeah. But we had this idea in, and I, this actually really goes back to the middle of the 20th century, mm-hmm. the century of which I am an expert. Yep. Middle class America decided to de, uh, de-vulgarize its entire culture. Mm-hmm. That is to de-ethnicize, to, de, uh, to, to put up behind it all peasant-type activities. Agrarianism, for example. Sure, sure. Everyone moved into homes. The mm-hmm. idea that your home was your castle was this huge aspirational idea, right? Mm-hmm. That you were no longer going to have truck with your father and grandfather who like would eat a fish head. Do you know what I mean? You're talking like a post World War II society when America moving into the jet age, streamlining mm-hmm. 
uh, culture of all of its European ethnic uh, sort of vulgarities, mm-hmm. and which you know a, a peasant ethos of don't waste food. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Make your own stuff. Raise it. Grow it. Cook it yourself. Don't waste. Fuck it. all that stuff. Yeah. No. No. We're. Uh, you know what? It's a modern age. We're going to go to the supermarket. We're going to press a button. We're going to get a thing out of a machine that looks like uh, food. Yep. And then we're going to go home and we're going to heat it up in a microwave and or you know in an oven and eat it in front of the TV. I That's it, the future. I thought it was. I thought. I thought the whole idea of eating a whole animal was that you can't dominate an animal any more than by eating its face. And by ingesting its eyes, you get to taste the last thing the animal saw before it died. Do you feel like that's true? Yeah, and you get to see it, too. Yeah, yeah, for just a <laughs> I mean, second. That's what, it's just a second, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what the Chinese get to see. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's what... When you burp. That's what non, non-Western cultures and, and people who Mo- are... Quack, right, excuse <laughs> me. Right, but our, enti- our whole food ways, like what we consider to be normal food in America, comes from this 50s idea of, of getting rid of... Uh, anything that smacked of peasantry mm-hmm. and become and becoming modern, right? And becoming and divest and, and uh, divesting ourselves from this concept of actually being in the world. But you also mentioned like the people moved away from what their grandparents yeah, did. Yeah, exactly. And was that also a big thing of just like you know? Because I, I I grew up in Hawaii where people you know there would be three generations in every house. Right. And was that another thing that happened? Like yeah. Well, they threw their grandparents into a home. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. they, would, they would literally move away. Oh, yeah. Physically. Oh yeah. And yeah, just yeah, culturally. yeah. Because that whole idea of generations living together became unpalatable. Thank like, God. Well, I'm not saying that everything was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's very funny that um, that as evolved as we think we are, that so much of American culture has its roots in in Victorian, in basically Victorianism. That this this whole yeah. sort of ties. weird, well, not not just not just ties, but just it's a very stuffy, right? Um, kind of a kind of a tight ass attitude. That, yeah. that came out of the, that came out of you know like Queen Victoria kind of taking England by the balls and being like you're gonna fucking act right but she didn't say it that way because that would be that anti-Victorian would be, yeah but well, just, but see that's the that's the hypocrisy of Victorianism she probably did say she it that probably, way. <laughs> she right. probably said you you stuffing cunts yes exactly let's yes. Uh, let's clean this shit pile up right you pigs or and carters yes right she mm-hmm. used Cockney rhyming slang I'm sure <laughs> you pig and whistles you twats and swats what yeah. Chav, what? <laughs> don't don't bring your boffinry in here. That's another word. I learned recently. Well, people people in the United States didn't have Christmas trees, right? Until they saw, uh, 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 what's his name, uh, Albert, Prince Albert, mm-hmm. the the Queen's consort, the German she married. Yeah. The druid who who first brought a Christmas tree into there's one in every house, Lancaster House. Yeah. And there was a big picture of it in magazines. And everyone in America said, this is the beginning with the fascination with the royals. Mm-hmm. The perverse idea that we should find these people attractive. These people <laughs> that we specifically formed our nation to get rid of them. Sure. All of a sudden, we aspire to be them. Hey, abuse wife syndrome. You just don't know him. You just don't know England like I do. Yeah, come on. He's cool. England's I was, cool. I was hanging out with England again. Don't stop. Stop hanging out with them. Listen, no, I, no. He's, then fine. You're going to get what England, you deserve. Yeah. England called me again. Why? Hang on, hang on, Don't hang on. Stop taking. Hang on, I'm getting you need a text. to block the number. Uh, I can't believe this. What does yeah. anyone want now? You're not going to no, get. We're back still together. friends. We're still You're friends. You're not going to get back together. We just enjoy texting one another and occasionally. <laughs> Do you mean sexting? What's that? Do you mean sexting? Texting to arrange sexting. <sighs> yeah. Wait. So that's pre-sexting texting. Prexting. You're prexting. Yeah. To for for, for later sexting. sexting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Is there any postcoital? Too much lingo. I'm not young. Okay. <laughs> I love the I love the idea that I took it as far as I could, and that was it. Yes. Christmas trees in the home in the early part of the 20th century, where they would just like put candles on. So much of everything before like 1950 just looks incredibly flammable to me. Like it was yeah, a period yeah. of time where people really seemed to not have a concept of oh all the like the idea that um, you know some like a lot of the early Ringling brother or like a lot of the early uh, Barnum uh, right display like where they would do these indoor everything was made of wood right and they all burned yeah they all just burned to the ground so the Circus idea of bringing very common. trees and homes and putting candles on them brittle dry <laughs> trees yeah. oh, but then when things got modern right when Americans in the in the in the 50s and 60s started saying we can't do this anymore mm-hmm. that uh, that Prince Albert tricked us all into being druids and bringing live trees into our homes mm-hmm. to kill us at night yep we need to modernize. We're going to use fake trees. Mm-hmm. How about a tree uh, made out of uh, uh, flammable film? <laughs> How about a tree made out of uh, old newspapers soaked in kerosene? I have a better idea. Asbestos. It's good for the kids. It doesn't right. burn. burn. Exactly. It smells great. The base is made out of lead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. just like it, it hugs your lungs when you breathe it in. Uh, it was such a, a weird time where it's like anything artificial is good. I Do you know what I mean? No, they would get like, a fake tree, and then they were like, oh, you know what I miss? The tree smell. Well, right. Here's an aerosol can, aerosol can full of tree smell. But how much fun was it for that for our society to discover plastics and to say, like, yeah. hey, fuck Bakelite. It's heavy. Right. Um, it Please looks don't, good. Don't, not on my watch. Don't ever say fuck Bakelite on my watch. Okay? <laughs> I was saying that's what they were saying. Okay, I am a huge know, Bakelite fan. So, yeah, Chris, course, you were just talking me. about the other day how you hate Bakelite. Jonas, what the? Fuck up, well, I don't, I'm sorry. Right I just I think with... Transparency. Did Two-faced. you see his mustache curl in anger? <laughs> yeah. um, so we were, were out here for the Emmys. Wait a minute, I thought we were talking about Bakelite. Well, I want to turn the Emmys into a Bakelite award show. You're gonna. I'm gonna. I'd like to see where you're going with this. I want to turn the Emmys into a Bakelite award show, and I want you to host it. That's why Joe and I are here. We're from the uh, ABS, the American the Bakelite Bakies. Society. We yeah. wanted to start giving out the bakeys. Of course, the award is made of Bakelite. Right, of course. Yeah. Um, and all the seats are made of Bakelite, and most of the celebrities will be cast in Bakelite. Uh, I think they'd like that. Do you think that would be good? Sure. I think it might be more entertaining than the actual Emmy broadcast. <laughs> what, if, if the entire audience was, was made, made out of, of Bakelite? Bakelite yeah, yeah. Exactly. at least there would be a reason for them to seem I think they would. Have, I think they would have shown more interest. Now, I went to the Emmys a couple years ago. I saw you there. I was, that's right, I did yes. see you there. You were doing, st- you were doing uh, announcing stuff I was, uh, on, the, on the Emmys. You were, you were great. You're nice. Thank you. You really were. Um, you and agree. Jonah, you, don't even, thought, you didn't even see it. I also thought you were great. Jonah, I'm positive Jonah, you didn't see it. I just it. wanted to say I'm nice. You didn't see it. It's true. You <laughs> saw it online. Jonah, you're Hawaiian. <laughs> <laughs> we say that to him a lot. Did he really grow up in Hawaii? He really did, yeah. He grew up in uh, just outside of Honolulu? Uh, no, in the suburban side in Kailua. Ah, it's all the same. What? what? No, it's not. It's not the same. It's quite different. Could I see your birth certificate, please? It's actually a certificate of live birth. Whoa! Yeah, yeah. They write it on a coconut I just leaf. Drove a, I just re- drove a bakelite wedge between you two. Now you'll, <laughs> now you'll never know if you can believe this guy. You're never going to be president, Joan. Fuck! I know. You were saying? <laughs> I was saying I went to the Emmys a couple of years ago, and I thought they were kind of fun. But there is a certain that 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 theater is massive. The Nokia. Yes, theater. is massive, and uh, there's just a lot of disinterest people. Chit chatting the whole time and not really paying attention, and then part of me was just like, "Why go? Like, make it smaller. Don't invite as many people. Just have the people there who should be there." I had no right to be there. I wasn't nominated for anything. I know. I asked that you be taken out. <laughs> it didn't work. 
live on the broadcast too. Yeah, exactly. I think maybe that's why you didn't go if back. Chris Hardwick is in the theater. Please <laughs> tackle him, John. We can't cut because this is live. What you're doing is bullshit right now. Uh, you've just wasted a break. Bring me Hardwick. <laughs> no, no, you're all insane. Um, it was. Uh, yeah, I was. I was a guest of someone who was actually working on the show. I know. I know who you were a guest of. Yes, the host of the show. Yes, I was a guest of, of Neil Harris's. So why did you not want to say that? Because I because I didn't. Because you, you don't want people to think that you truck in favors. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to create the image that like you're friends with like the lighting dudes. We're all good friends, and yeah. we just sit around and talk about Bakelite and yeah. the you know, fat and Victorian yeah, yeah, problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the I'm the I, I'm I'm friends with the the Bakelite grip. At the, at the Emmys. And There's so, a special one. He's union guy. You didn't want to say you were friends with the big star. Yeah, he's I, the reason that I was there. Oh, really? He, he he suggested that idea that that someone come on and and do hilarious announcements as people walk to the stage. I thought he did such a great job hosting the great job. hosting the show, and uh, and he's a he's such a sweet guy. Yeah, I love that guy. I love him too. Um, so you went, I assume, with, with it's too bad he's not a listener to the podcast. I know it's too bad. <laughs> I, mean, I just presume. I just presume. I, I presume no one's really listening to the podcast no, most of there. the time. But there, there are people there. out there, apparently. But I just always assume, like, ah, no one's going to hear any of this. Mm-hmm. All the time on the show, stuff stuff gets said, and I'll go, oh, I'll cut that later. And then I never do, because I'm like, who's really going to care? Right. Who's really, really yeah. going to care? Like, your, uh, your plans to murder Neil Gaiman. Oh, see? I'm going to have to cut that. I know. <laughs> I'm going to have to cut that if he were a listener. Right, but the, he's well, not. He, no, 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 no. So the plan's going to be executed fine. I don't. So this is what we're really talking about. I don't think Neil has a safe house. So let me tell you something. I actually, I'm, I'm a little alarmed. What? Because, uh, well, you had a podcast with Neil Gaiman. I did, which I enjoyed very. Oh, much. Oh, thank you. And then all of a sudden, I had one of those fall off the treadmill moments when you guys were suddenly talking about me, mm-hmm. which I did not expect. And yes, it made me very nervous. No, no, believe in the Hodgman. Uh, and but I was very flattered. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. And Neil said some great, some very nice things about me. Yes. And I thought this is great. I have now just tricked Neil Gaiman into giving a blurb for my new book. <laughs> <laughs> and did it work? Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. And so, I so I wrote him and I said, Neil, thank you for saying those nice things. Would you mind? If I use this flattering quote mm-hmm. on in in, the, in my new book, mm-hmm. that is all yep. available on November first. November first. Our books are coming out the same day. Oh yeah, that's right. We're gonna have a party. <laughs> Ooh, it's we like should when, have a party. It's like when Oasis and Blur put out singles on the same day. I wonder who's is gonna sell more. Well, John and I don't hate each other, and we don't have soccer matches against each other. So, so. you're Blur, obviously. So what do you? <laughs> I'm Blur and Gorillas. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the thing. So you come back in the book yeah, yeah, I come order. Back. Yeah, exactly. I'm following along. I'm getting it. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to go back to Bakelite, please. <laughs> References that I understand from the 20th century. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. Well, no, Oasis and Blur were from the 20th century. I know, I know, I know. Just not my 20th century. I guess that's true, yeah. They, know, were, they, were, not, know, they were not in your I know the contours of what you're talking about. The 20th century. Yeah. But anyway, so I asked, I said, Neil, do you mind if I use this nice flattering thing? He said, that would be great. Uh, it would also be great if you credited it to the Nerdist podcast. He said that. Uh, yes, oh, that's awesome. And so I said no. I he said don't no, like but it. yes, and so it is. Oh my gosh, that's so fantastic. Neil that's, said. I said on the Nerdist podcast. Yes, that is very nice of that's him. In, that's in the inside and me. Yeah, well, I mean, really, you kind of had to have your arm twisted a little bit. I mean, if we're going to be, you know, I mean, like, he wouldn't have let you use the quote if you didn't. It's like, I mean, you know, yeah, I guess mean, you get some credit for it, but really. Chris, we are guests in John's panic room. <laughs> panic suite. Sorry, right. panic suite. It's more than one room. That was the sequel to Panic Room. <laughs> 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 Sweet. 
Or they go on vacation afterwards. She's like, it looks like everything's going to be okay. Uh-oh. Jodie Foster had a fun run of I'm trapped in a thing and I have to solve a thing movies. Like, it was Flight well, Plan. Two. Of two. Flight Plan was the other Panic one. Panic Room and, and, and Flight Plan. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's not a run. It's a mini. It's a jog. It's a mini. Yeah. yeah. She had a stroll. She had a, she stroll. Had a light stroll of uh, I'm trapped in a thing. By the way, do you think you could convince someone they were crazy if they fell asleep and you took their kid away and went, you don't have a kid? How long before they you would start? You never had a child. Is no. that what happened in Flight Plan? You never, you never had a child. Yeah, yeah. Imagine. Like they fall asleep. She designs this large. Spoiler alerts. She designs this large plane, and she uh, is on the plane on its inaugural, inaugural flight. Someone plans some sort of a heisty thing, and her she falls asleep and she wakes up and her child is gone, and everyone on the plane is like, "You didn't come in here with a child." And then so. But they didn't tell her you never had a child. Y- yes. They yes. tell her that they try to they conv- they try to convince her that uh, she's crazy chi- and that, oh, really? that her child either was dead or didn't come along. Or- Does she say the lines uh, "Give me back my son and get off my plane"? No, because it was a daughter, and that would be weird. Oh, and they'd be like, I was just hoping she was See, you're take- crazy. You thought you had a daughter. Now you say you have a son. No, uh, I told right. you you were crazy, Jodie Foster. Anyway, margaritas when we land, right, guys? And then the movie just credits roll. <laughs> but fast TV style credits. Yeah, but in like 38 specials, take me back to paradise. Does plays. it turn out that her daughter was a ghost? Her daughter was not a ghost. A Does it turn no, out her was daughter a was a ghost. snake? No, her daughter was not a snake on a plane, nor was a daughter a ghost, nor was Jodie Foster the ghost but and didn't right. realize she was the ghost. Right. What about, was the baby, her daughter, a goblin on the wing of the plane? Who was tearing out tearing the... Out. Uh, yeah. No one would believe, they're like, there's nothing on the wing. What was Jodie Foster yeah. either William Shatner or John Lithgow? Jodie Foster was John Lithgow, who William Shatner raped on the flight's pinball machine. When Whoa. does Dan Aykroyd show up and say, do you want to see something scary? Um, that was, he said that to the pilot. Okay. Um, because the, he shut the, he shut the plane's headlights off. <laughs> Wait, Dan, Dan Aykroyd? Yes, was Dan he Aykroyd. Was a big fat person? He was... <laughs> <laughs> That was, a, that was a gorgeous Jodie Foster ring that we've just... <laughs> that, was, see, that was a run. That was a good run. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was a run. That was a better um, run than Jodie Foster's I'm trapped in a thing and have to solve a thing. Yeah. Which we determined was not a run. I think. But it was the titular line of that movie, I'm trapped in a thing and I have, and to, I have solve to solve a thing. thing. That yeah. should have been the third one if yeah, she had yeah. done another thing. That was a run That was a run in the sense that sometimes you go for a run, and I do these things. You sure. know, I move yeah. around from yeah. time to time. Yeah. Sometimes you go for a run and you get, half, you know, like, you get out, you like, put on your... Your 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 headband and your wristbands and your jogging shorts and your shin bands. You put your shin bands on. My shin bands and your whole gym oh. fix running outfit. Are you yep. running in a Wes Anderson movie? Is I that am, where yes, you're taking exactly. a run? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, you get all ready to go and you limber up and then you run out the door and you're like, oh fuck this. Yeah, and then, yeah, and then a song. And then I don't a, feel like this. Some sort of a kitschy song. <laughs> you get halfway around the block, you're like, oh, I'm going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A zombie song plays like something off of Odyssey and Oracle. Oracle. Yes, yeah. no, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Give me some coffee. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Give me some coffee. But the point I was making was this: there were two quotes that Neil had 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 made that I liked for the book. One was a very flattering quote, which was the one that I asked him about. But then there was another thing he said, which was. Uh, which I thought would be a great quote out of context. If you if you meet Hodgman on the road, kill him. Yes. Which is a reference to a, a Buddhist koan. Mm-hmm. If you meet Buddha on the road, kill him. Oh yes, that does sound familiar. Which is which is I had to look that up. I didn't know that's what it was. I didn't I know thought, either. I just I was thought Neil wanted to kill me. No, he doesn't. Yeah, okay. He was referencing. So then I thought, okay, it would be funny to to on the on the back of the book where my photo is, just as the caption, the only line. 
if you meet Hodgman on the road, kill him, Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. He gave me permission to do that as well. I thought, that's great. Now I got two Neil Gaiman blurbs. Yeah, that's a two. Nerds have to buy this book now. Do you? But then I got the cover and I looked at it, and for the first time, it occurred to me: I'm afraid someone's going to try to kill me. That's now. what I was curious about. Yeah. That when that. your book says, yeah. if you meet Neil Gaiman, says, yeah. Neil Gaiman yeah. has, if you meet Hodgman, essentially yeah. ordered your death. Yeah. yeah. It may be that I have overestimated Americans' familiarity with Buddhist koans and irony, and Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's a that's I don't really, know who this Neil Gaiman is, yeah. but it's someone of authority, obviously, and yeah. he wants me to kill this guy. It says Here's it, a picture of him. So he does look like, like a guy when they show the picture, it's like apparently this man ordered the death and then just you see Neil Gaiman like, Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So thank you, Neil, and also everyone, please don't murder me. Tell me about I want to hear about your book. Well, Chris. <laughs> Let me put down my coffee. Uh, that was a very Tuesdays with Maury. Yeah. Uh, kind of a slurp, the coffee cup goes down. Yes. I remember things from I... the 20th century. <laughs> in the 20th century, we had things called books. Snore. Boring. In the early 21st century, I Ooh. wrote two books. Yes. Of complete world knowledge. Mm-hmm. Amazing true facts and fascinating historical trivia all made up by mm-hmm. me. The areas of my expertise was the first one. Mm-hmm. More information than you require was the second one. Mm-hmm. And it was always planned, Chris, always, that there would be a third. Unlike Jodie Foster. Yeah, I was going to have a run. Not a job, mm-hmm. not a stroll. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a run, run of, of books. Of fake trivia books. Mm-hmm. Two would be a brace. Yep. Three. Three is a trilogy, and that's what you need in order to make it today in book publishing. Now, in the third book, is that where you storm the castle after claiming the sword? Uh, because you're the king and you have the army of the dead fighting for you? Or am I thinking of a different trilogy? I think you're thinking of a, of a different trilogy. Okay. Yeah. I so think. you didn't write Tolkien's books? I did not write Tolkien's books, nor did I write um, the uh, the army of darkness. It's not a sword, though. It's a, the, it's a the evil dead. It's a, yeah. It's a, the, Necronomicon. the Necronomicon. I didn't write the, the evil the dead. dead. Yeah. Right. But speaking of the Necronomicon. <laughs> you didn't write the books that the movies wait, wait, wait. Dead yeah. were based on. I want to hear where you're going with speaking of the Necronomicon. <laughs> speaking of the Necronomicon, my book. <laughs> Which also technically orders your death, so yeah. it is kind of a book of the it dead. Is, it is a book of the dead, yes. in the sense that I had written these two books, and with the first one, it was easy. I was just writing every joke that I had ever made in my life and never had a chance to say. Sure. Do you know what I mean? And I loved it, and it was fun, and I got to create all this fake, fake history about hobos and, and the Loch Ness Monster and, and all this stuff that I found to be fun for me. And that was simple. It truly was just like the areas of my expertise. It's like everything, this is what I know. Mm-hmm. These are the crazy, you know, the crazy, that's the worst thing that I've Anyone, can, any writer can say, these are just the crazy things that are in my brain. No, How do you come up I, with this stuff? It's just yeah. the wacky stuff that's in my... No, How does like, he come up with These are like every poor, half-formed, dumb idea that I've ever had. goes down on paper in a list form, and then it gets published. But it was wonderful. The second book, I was really... F- nervous about how to do more because I had, I felt like I had already written everything I knew. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You know, the secret to writing is write what you know, but the double secret is learn no different stuff. Yeah, but you, then you, then once you write everything you know, then you've got to go into your brain's panic suite. Yeah, exactly. And draw from that knowledge that yeah. you're hiding from the rest of your brain. Right. Write what you know, but don't be boring. <laughs> right. <laughs> no interesting things. The second book is like that book report in grade school where you didn't know what to write about, so you wrote about the writing of the book report. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then the sec- so the second book I was in my panic suite, but then I realized like it was almost as though I hadn't realized that I had my whole life had 
transformed mm-hmm. because I had gone on the Daily Show to promote my first book, mm-hmm. and that had changed my life completely. And suddenly, I was no longer a writer of magazine articles and and food columns for for magazines, but mm-hmm. I I was on TV. And then I went on those Apple ads. Mm-hmm. Those Apple ads. Why am I so dismissive? Of those? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then I went on. Then I went on to my life's work. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great, I'm not, I'm not the, familiar. The did greatest you? job I ever had in my life that I miss every day. Did you do uh, some work with a fruit themed company? I did. Oh, yes, awesome. exactly. Yeah. And uh, and I hope to do more. I, that is Fruit of the Loom. I'm going to do some, <laughs> yeah. some fruit, fruit of the Loom ads in Japan. It's like, hey, I'm I'm boxers. This is briefs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then some other weird guys like I'm, I'm going, boxer briefs. Right. I'm I'm uh, I'm going for. Uh, I'm doing some work in Japan for a company that has bought the Fruit of the Loom brand. <laughs> They're licensing the Fruit of the Loom brand to create adult diapers. <laughs> it's going to be great. And that you could just keep on being in commercials in because it only becomes all, more relevant. Yeah, I play all the fruits. That's going to be fallen fruits of the loom because you can't control when the fruit you know falls out of the tree. Low-hanging fruits. Low-hanging fruits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, sounds, of, it sounds much better than yeah. the original Japanese. Right. Just, but it's uh, all the fruit. The fruit bundle, the logo is just prunes and raisins. And <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> with dates. Yeah. <laughs> just dried apricots. <laughs> The worst. Mm-hmm. Pineapple rings. <laughs> Apple chips. Three oh. day old. Yeah. Pineapple oh. rings. So fruit you leather. You did that that <laughs> See my new shoes are made of fruit leather. Right? Really? I'm in S and M. I only fruit vegan. leather. Yeah. yeah. Right. I love that um, I mean the the Apple ads it just it's interesting the whole concept that um, I mean because uh, there was a period of time when when commercials would could change people's lives, and then as we became we as, as, sort I think, of, as we migrated, Chris, I into, think Justin Long and I changed a lot of lives. Well, that's what I'm going to say though, <laughs> because a lot of people as we as we sort of as we sort of drifted into a DVR culture, right? Um, commercials became less and less. You know, you had to watch them exactly, yeah. <laughs> and so. But those ads... They became less and less you had to watch them. Less and less you had to watch More and more, hey, maybe not. <laughs> maybe I just wanted to skip to the, this other part is of this, a, this is show. Is there a gr- grammatical explanation for the using of um, phrases as, as, as adjectives? Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, instead of like, they became less and less relevant. Right, right, and more right. more and more skippable. I know that... Less and less you have to watch them. More and more, hey, maybe not. I remember the literary tools of metonymy and synecdoche. A pie. Um, where uh, I... And the I two hands met. Yes. Synecdoche. Where I, it, it, but I think metonymy isn't something metonymous if you use... Like when you say, um, oh, hand, hand me that Kleenex. But it's just, it means any tissue. Like, like one name oh. represents an entire... Well, synecdoche... Oh. Is in upstate New York. Uh, Come on. Uh, what? Don't. Why, is, why are you vomiting? Because he's, he's worried that we're going to make a reference to the movie. Well, it's just. I, I didn't see. I. What's wrong, John? I just feel bad that people don't know that that's a literary term. <laughs> Synecdoche. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just a city or a movie. They think that it's either an, an actual city mm-hmm. now. Yeah. When it's a play on Schenectady. Uh huh. A city that a lot of people don't know about. <laughs> and a literary term a lot of people don't know about. So it's confusing. And now people don't realize that that's a good literary trope. Well, the little brains don't. 
as Albert Brooks called them. But uh, but I think I think some people do. And hey, listen, if it makes people look something up, then you have taught them something. I feel like I say some of these listeners don't really know what it is. Well, look, just because I obviously know the difference between synecdoche and metonymy, but to help the listeners, mm-hmm. I'm going to get out my mother box and double check. By mother box, you mean your brain. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what passes for my brain? Has your connection in all right, well, John's punch card is now <laughs> it's just, coming out of his slot. It's really amazing that his brain is a computer, but it's like a really old right. computer. Part of something. Hodgman's vacuum tubes. It's a figure of speech in which determine, uh, part of something is used to refer to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. A thing is used to refer to part of it. Uh, pardon me. Uh, <laughs> Like so the crown, the crown represents orders, royalty. Orders the the the, the, the king or the right. realm, right? Right, and I think by order of the crown. And I think metonymy is one of a group of things represents the entire group you know of what? things. I think you're probably right. That's right. Exactly. That's, that sounds all right. Well done, Van Dyke. Thank you very thank you very much. I'm not even Van Dyking today at all. I I look terrible with any kind of goatee, mustache, Van Dyke. I just go for the you look fantastic. But I haven't. I just go for the haven't shaved in a while. Thing. Yeah, yeah, it looks good. I feel. Well, I feel. Jonah like, looks I, terrible. I, I feel okay with I it. I almost shaved today, but then I, I when I shave my beard, yeah, I leave yeah. the mustache and soul patch for a bit. But I didn't want to show up with that. Why? That would have been hilarious. I know. I, just, I got shit from Mark Maron. Uh, like I well, that's weird, show. because he's, he's usually like, so inviting yeah, yeah. and warm. Yeah. Oh, mustache and the thing, huh? Yeah, I get what you're doing. Wait a minute. Oh, so Mark Maron looked at you and saw a picture of himself somehow? Somehow he saw, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm angrily lashing out, and I'm actually trying to connect with you, but it comes off like bitterness and anger. Yeah, I get, I get what you're doing. Yeah. And then I, I took it off, because we were doing a show a few days later. I was like, I don't want to have to deal with that before my set, and I... I took it off, and he's like, ah, you took it off, you look good with it. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) So anyway, so I did these ads, Mm -hmm. and they changed lives, as we both were saying. Yes. And they certainly changed my life. Yes. And it it made it very complicated to write the second book, because I was still writing from the point of view of the first book, Mm -hmm. the sort of like loser literary freelance writer Mm -hmm. dilettante. Do you know what I mean? Right. And in the first book, I'd like would write a jokes like, "Here are five movies that I've made a cameo appearance in," mm-hmm. because that was a ridiculous thing to contemplate sure. when I was writing the first book. But in the second book, I couldn't make that joke at all because I had had a cameo appearance in um, at least one movie right. at the time. Do you know what I mean? Right. So the weirdness of my life was outstripping my ability to make crazy, make up crazy facts about it, Absolutely. and I had to reposition where I was, and so I was able to. I, I, it, that was the breakthrough there where I was like, oh, now I'm writing not as a professional writer, but as a famous minor television personality. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's going to inform the stuff that I talk about and look at and everything else. And that was great. Well, I did that. And then now the third book, I had to write the third book. And I didn't know what the, what the position, where I was writing from was. So I had to look at my own life. My, the ads were over. Mm-hmm. My life was over. <laughs> <laughs> By which no. I mean, by which I mean, I was at that time about to turn forty years old. Mm-hmm. Did that bother you? Of course. It did. <laughs> Does it still bother you? Unlike, unlike, <laughs> perhaps unlike you, I am mortal. No, I am. I am mortal too. But I never realized that until last year, when I started to see that number coming down the pipeline, and then started to go, "Oh yeah, there's an end point. There yeah. is an end point to all yeah. this." When you're young, when you're in your twenties, you're just like. 
Ah, I just I'll figure that shit out later. Yeah. And then and then you start to feel like Oh yeah. Oh no, there's there, there, there's no later. There's not a lot of later left. There's not a lot of later. Exactly. And yeah, and and it's and it's chilling yeah, to think about. It really you know, is. Like, Something biologically weird happens. I mean, don't freak out if you're about to turn 40 because everyone who does get over the hump out. then they go like, "Ah, okay, it's not a big deal." Nope. It, was, it was weirder when They're I, lying. <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> I'm 39. Yeah. 39 is the hard one. 39 is. I mean, it is. I guess you're right. Now that I'm 40, I'm comfortable with my impending death in a way that I wasn't. I was more freaked out about it last 30, year. 39, yeah, but that's where you feel like you're watching the last grains of sand in the hourglass. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? When in fact, it's actually not true because, I mean, I, you know, I see, I see people 55, 58, 60 years old now. I mean, I think we have this idea of our, the previous generation. You know, even now we're living these 20, 30 year extended adolescence. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. Right. Where we get to live as selfishly as possible. It's great. It's a good time. <laughs> Where, you know, previous generations were like, nah, you work and it sucks and you hate it and you got to give shit to sure. your family and yeah. you don't want to and they just fucking stare just at you like Eddie these Pepitone. parasites. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you turn into Eddie Pepitone. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but I don't think it's as bad. I don't think it's as bad for us as it was for previous uh, previous generations. Yeah, but I think you know. I think there is. Uh, I, don't, I call me crazy, but I think there's something crazy in humans. Something about humans they don't. They're afraid of death for some reason. Well, because um, we have to have this. Uh, we have to have this kind of biological mechanism that. That makes us inherently want to survive yeah. and procreate, and procreate, right. and and form a society, and you know, otherwise it just all falls apart. I mean, if you, if we don't have that mechanism, then why do anything? Why follow rules? Why live? Why fucking get a job? Like I don't know. It's just yeah, man. What? I like yeah, that, man. Oh. Yeah, you, you guys. No, Jonah's yeah. shaving as I'm telling. I really <laughs> got it. He's <laughs> putting on a tie. Yeah. Going to work. Fuck this comedy shit. <laughs> right. So anyway, so you you. Oh, so yeah. So but, forty. So not, the, the, the ad. Right, how long did the ads run? Uh, four years. Wow. It was like college. It was like you know how you feel at the end of college. Yeah. Like, now what do I do? Yeah. That's how. That's how I. That's how I felt. And did you? I assume. Did you have any sort of? Did they? Did you have any creative input in the ads, or were they very much like stand here, say this? Uh, how, like it, as they much were, as you can say, what was that? What was the process of the commercials like, and how did it evolve? Well, they were written, they were they were written and written very smartly. Mm-hmm. Um, the director was Phil Morrison, mm-hmm. uh, who is a really great director and and was you know instrumental in in teaching me essentially from scratch how to act. Mm-hmm. In those ads, and that was just to feel comfortable. And and he worked really hard to make sure that we had a lot of takes, and that we got to fool around as much as possible. Because even though usually, very rarely, would our ad libs come into play in the ads, mm-hmm. being able to do that, we could just it created a sense, an air of spontaneity and intimacy sure. that 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 read. Even when we eventually worked our way back to the right. scripted language, so yeah. But we had—I mean, it was—it was just so much fun. I remember when I was a a young person, mm-hmm. and the the TV show Cheers was like thirty nine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, like when I was in my uh, late teens, early twenties, and the and the TV show Cheers was ending, mm-hmm. and every person to a man or woman on that cast was just like. This was the greatest time I had in my life. All I had to do was show up with, with people that I like and have fun all day mm-hmm. long. 
and then go home and count all my syndication money. <laughs> but when the deals were really sweet back then. But yeah, by the, by the end of the show, I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that was, everyone was in uh, their pure, you know, and uh, pure comfort. You know what I mean? They're, like, everyone was totally comfortable with themselves. Except for Shelley Long. Left. I'm sure she's fine. Yeah, she has all that outrageous fortune money. But I was like, you know, I, I remember sitting at home going, I wish that could be my life. Just show up and have fun with my friends. Mm-hmm. And how, un, how un, un, and even so, it was said in the context of how unusual that is, even for making a comedy. Yeah. That you like the people that you're with and the creative team is great and you feel supported and, and you just have fun all day long. I was like, it's more than anyone can hope for, but that's something to, to shoot for. Mm-hmm. And very unexpectedly, I mean, in every way, that ended up being my life on that on those ads it was just like I love Justin I love Phil I love all the creative people the people that I would hang out with the 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 the, uh, the the crew who was there almost on every shoot we all became very friendly with each other and it was fantastic and we would have a great time did you ever meet Steve Jones? no never? no no <laughs> I had one opportunity to do so and I I blew it because it was right when the iPhone was coming out. And there was a small wonder marathon, and you love the 20th century. (laughs) (laughs) The iPhone was coming out, and I was at The Daily Show, and John Stewart said, um, uh, you know, Steve Jobs is coming here on Monday. Now, I only go to The Daily Show to do my bits, Mm -hmm. you know, so I'll go in for a day or two and work on my piece and do my piece, and then that's it. I'm not in the office otherwise. So... I was. I don't know what's going on all the time. So he said, John, uh, "Steve Jobs is coming in on Monday." I said, "Oh wow, is he going to be a guest on the show?" He said, "No, he's coming by to show us the iPhone and visit." Wow. You know, Jesus. And I'm like, wow. cool. And he's like, uh, you know, you should. John Stewart said you should come by and and say hello. And I'm like, oh, I don't know, because I wasn't scheduled to be in that day. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure. I want to poke my head into that meeting and go, hello. <laughs> Perhaps you recognize this yeah. indicating to face. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> hey, Steve, I'm a PC. Yeah. And John was like, no, no, you you work here. Uh, you know, you have every right to be here, obviously. You should come in on Monday and, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll I'll bring you in. So I'm like, oh, thanks, John. Let me think about that. I, I'm not sure. I'll let you know. What were you nervous about? Uh, I well, this was early on in the run, okay. right? Of the ads. So you didn't want to say the wrong thing. Uh, yeah, I didn't want to say the wrong thing. Nice to meet you, Steve. Your face I, smells. Oh my God! Why did yeah, I say oh, that? It's yeah. a weird thing. I, uh, you know, it, it had been it had been about a year. I was con- I was very, uh, you know, my my life truly had changed completely. Mm-hmm. Like I really had an idea that I was going to be a writer of a freelance magazine writer for my whole life. And if I were lucky, I would get to write another book. Mm-hmm. And that, that maybe that would be the big, my big contribution to the world and, and, make, and my big creative output in the world would be that. And, and it is. You know, I mean, that's still the, the thing that I... Writing the books is sort of the thing that's closest to, to me. Do you know what I mean? Without mm-hmm. any mediation from any... But I didn't expect to suddenly, at the age of, at that time, 35, go on television at all. Mm-hmm. And then to get this job, which would, you know, first The Daily Show, which I was, you know, I'd been a huge fan and watcher of the show. You know, that's, you don't, ex- 
there's no reason to think that you're going to then all of a sudden in your mid thirties when you're you know not in the best shape in your life be told to be on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Hodgman, get in here! Yeah, yeah. that that would be a definition of delusion. Do you know what I mean? It was was like television said, okay, come on, your turn. Come on in. John, what are you sitting around for? Well, I'm going to be on The Daily Show. All right. (laughs) He thinks he's going to be on The Daily Show. Yeah, and then then to go in for this audition for this ad campaign, it's like, yeah, you know what, that'll be a fun story to tell, how I auditioned for this big ad campaign and Mm -hmm. didn't get it. You know what I mean? But then... I got the job and it ruined the story. You know? <laughs> so I was very. And you regret I that just, every day. I, I just, I really, I really felt like you know, uh, someone was going to come out of a closet at any moment and say, "It's a prank show. Your life is a prank show. Go yeah. back to where you belong." That's not uncommon though. That that emotion, I think, is very common. I think sure. most people feel, especially if they kind of get outside their comfort zone a little bit about right. like getting stuff that they feel is maybe more than for whatever reason they think they deserve. Right. Which you totally make up in your head, by the way. Um, that a lot of people feel like someone's just going to tap them on the shoulder and go, "Yeah, you go. What are you doing? What are you, what are you doing here?" Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. But it's not true because you absolutely deserve to. Oh, know. that's nice. Of, that's nice of you to say. But it's it, uh, first of all, I didn't feel that way then. Sure. And I don't feel that way now. So <laughs> well, those are the should. two the two exceptions to your theorem. So you were, you thought about this moment to meet, uh, to meet Steve? Yeah. Now. So that it was just it was just a, a little too weird and. The whole thing felt so nebulous and could be taken away at any moment that I truly was afraid that if I that if I went in there and made a bad impression mm-hmm. uh, or did something dumb, and I did feel like it was a little intrusive. Steve Jobs, he knows that I'm at the Daily Show. Mm-hmm. He knows how to reach me if he wants to talk to me. Sure. You know what I mean? Like I don't want him to be like, "Hey, Steve, how are you?" Nancy, I, I, there should have been the writers of the Daily Show should have come up with the best way to present you to him. Whether it be oh no, no, John John came up with a, a very reasonable way that he would he would mention me in in the office mm-hmm. while he was meeting with Steve, take a read as to whether Steve was open to the idea of me coming in, and if he was, then they would page me and I would come in, and that was that was that was his idea. Mm, I would have voted for you take a desk, you cut a hole in the desk. Right. You dig out, you take out the tube of a CRT, one of those old computer monitors, sure. a PC monitor. Oh, I get it. Yeah, Go and then on. you I put your answers. you put your head through the hole, and you place a monitor on your head. Sure. And then John goes, "Hey, I want to show you this uh, computer I got." Yeah. And then he flicks a switch, and then your head's just there, and you're Bing like, bong. "Hey, yeah. Steve, yeah. I don't work too good." Blue, 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 blue. And then you, and then it's a breakaway desk, yeah. so you can stand up, right. And then and cast off. But it all doesn't the, exactly break away very well. So I spend yeah. forty five minutes trying to get out. Yeah. And yeah, he waits for it because yeah, he's right, patient. Right. And then, uh, and, and then you, you walk out to him out of breath. Yeah. Hi, John. Well, <laughs> you go. You're welcome for making your product more popular. And then you fucking leave. Yeah. yeah. Well, you trip a, over the stuff that you just broke off. Yeah. A, it's a good. You idea. might cut him a little bit with the yes. computer glass, but whatever. You just you get out of there. Hang on, I have to make a disgusting cough now. Okay. <coughs> Ooh, that was. Excuse me. <laughs> You, can I, you know, I understand. I understand why you would not have. I understand. I, I fully understand why that. I just didn't know what was the right call. And so over the weekend, uh, you know, the, he was coming on Monday. We, we'd had this conversation on the previous Thursday. So over the weekend, I was like, I really went back and forth about it. And, I, and finally, I decided, you know what? No, Steve Jobs is there for a reason. I don't need. I don't need to punk him. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And if he were interested in 
uh, I, I'm going to have faith that these things are going to go further sure. forward. Sure. And that if he wants to meet me, he can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided not to go. And I was explaining my rationale at dinner on Monday night to some people that I was having dinner with. And as I was explaining it, everyone was like, yeah, that makes sense. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense to me. And then something went off my head. It's like, oh, yeah, but I never told John. <laughs> that that was my decision. Oh. <laughs> and even then I wasn't like, uh, yeah, but you, you know what? You your phone and you have 10 texts from John. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are you? Where are you? Steve's waiting. Yeah. He really wants to see you. Yeah, at that point I was like, and 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 uh, even then I was like, sort of like, yeah, but you know what? I'm not the first thing on John Stewart's mind. Like, right. It probably didn't even come up. And so I just decided the next day, you know, I better just check in. Yeah. So I called Jen Flans, who's now one of the executive producers on the show, and is sort of my the 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 wonderful sane person who guides me through the show. Like, mm-hmm. and I said, "Hey, Jen, it's John." I just thought, and she was like, "Where were you yesterday?" <gasps> like, I um, I really so it came up. Huh? She's like, "Yeah." I mean, she was laughing about it. It's like, "Yeah, we were paging you for some time." Oh no. <laughs> yeah. It was awful. And you upset Steve Jobs. You upset yeah, John like, Stewart. Everything yeah, went away. Yeah, yeah. It was exactly again. It was exactly the opposite of what I wanted. I apologize for bringing this up again, but I still feel like you could have played that off to Steve Jobs. Like, see, the PC is not very reliable. Ooh, method. Yeah, you're a method. Yeah, but actor. I wasn't there. Yeah, exactly. You right. didn't fucking show up. So how could I play that off to him? In a, in an way. adorable email. John or a carrier pigeon. John Stewart smoothed it over. He was cool. Made sure it was okay with me. Thanks to his intervention, the ads continued for three years mm-hmm. longer. <laughs> I exchanged some very nice emails with Steve. Oh, that's awesome! Which was cool and and nerve wracking. Uh, did you did you pour over every word? Like, oh, does this seem like this, or does this? And how many emoticons did you use? There yeah. was well, he had he had sent me an email. Right after the, the the thing came out, mm-hmm. saying thank you, nice job, and I was like, "That's weird." I was like, "This is someone pranking me. Mm-hmm. This is someone on the internet who, because this can't be his email address. It's too normal." Right. And I'm going to write back to this, and then it's going to be all over some. Nice try, fuckface. <laughs> <laughs> That blog, nice try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my favorite shirt too. And TFF, and but I verified through someone a, a contact at Apple that this was actually for real. So I wrote him back. So I had his email, mm-hmm. and I, I I wrote him a note that I've now written him several times, basically saying, you know, thank you. The reality is that every everything that I everything that I'm really proud of that I've made in my life I have made using an Apple product mm-hmm. I realized going back to my teenage years do you mm-hmm. know what I mean it's like so it really was for me an embarrassment of riches because they were fun to do I thought they were creatively good I loved my co-workers I was happy to be associated with the brand and they paid me money yeah, my friends, uh, my best friend's dad had in 1985 or six had a Mac, yeah. just that that little standalone sure. Mac. Yeah. And my stepfather 
had uh, a machine running MS DOS, yeah, and just the difference between the two. I mean, I, I don't maybe people turn turn into an Apple commercial, but I but I def, but de- the difference of being able to use graphics and a graphical interface, sure. and that it was just like a, <gasps> you know, look, what is it? I, I was having Mac versus PC fights with my friends. You know, in when I first moved to New York in 1994, we would go to McGovern's, mm-hmm. a bar on Spring Street. Mac McGovern's. Yeah, exactly. Where Jonathan Colton was playing the open night. Was he really? Open mic night, yep. Is that when you first met Jonathan? No, no, no. I went to college with him. I'm, oh, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so uh, we all moved to New York at the same time. Jonathan and I and a bunch of my friends from high school and college, a bunch of his friends from high school and college. And we all were, you know, uh, you know, your, your little ravenous pack of wolves like the t-birds from greece exactly you know seeking sustenance in this in this uh this horrible wilderness that wants to kill you Mm -hmm. known as new york city and uh and and i think we all ganged up to force jonathan to play at this open mic night because that was during a period where he wasn't wanting to be a a musician just a software engineer yeah yeah Mm -hmm. because he had been turned off by his experience working for i think angel records okay it was basically that 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 album chant, which was just. Do you remember that? It was no. just uh, yeah. Gregorian chants by a bunch of monks in Spain. Oh, that, that was, was Angel was Records. Big, yeah, it was Angel Records. That was the big thing he worked on. He's like, if this is mu- if, <laughs> if this is music publishing, I want no part. Because yeah. <laughs> he put out that album people. after that with the right, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And right. he thought all me- at that time he probably assumed. Every music has to be religious in nature, right. some type of religious or spiritual chant. No, but what he's... I, I, we're going off track here, but... and, and uh, you, Have you had him on the podcast? Yes, yes. Oh, okay, I apologize. I missed that one. No, no, that's okay. Yeah, I, I listened to every podcast that Jonathan Golden was on. I mean... I you, wouldn't have time to do anything. Yeah, that, that would take up at least like four hours. Yeah, so. no one come out today. Colton did? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. it came out today? Yeah. Oh, my God. I heard some of those songs from the new album months ago at Largo. Yeah. I popped on to a show and Paul oh, yeah. Storm there. And... They were so fucking good, and yeah. I emailed them, kind of hoping that I would get a sneak. I'm like, "Hey, those are really great. If are those available anywhere?" And he was like, "Oh, it's not. They're not done yet." So this actually pleases. So by the time yeah, this podcast done. goes up, yeah. it'll be out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, oh yeah. Uh, his covers, uh, his all uh, when he covered all the flood songs. Oh the yeah. Giants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like watch those videos constantly. I want to oh. put, I want those guys to put out an album of just those covers. It would just be great. Yeah, we went and soft flood. But, and, you don't think so? You went. You want they might be giants to cover no, no, the no, Jonathan no. Colton you want covers. Jonathan no, no, I, I, to I, want, cover. I want Jonathan oh, oh, oh. in the Palm Storm because yeah. uh, they're the ones that made those. Yeah, the cover songs. It was just uh, it was beautiful. Why it was is like the a, world in love yeah. again? But like you know, uh, Birdhouse in Your Soul sounded like a like Garfunkel, you know, Simon and Garfunkel playing. It was beautiful. They're gonna say like Garfunkel. Gar- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So yeah. he's my you know oldest and best friend. We uh, uh, I I am so like his. Success. I mean, he he worked at this company and saw how the record industry worked, mm-hmm. and not only how the record industry worked, but he he, he wor- saw how it worked in 1994. Do you know what I mean? And he's like, "This is dumb. Yeah, this is a stupid process." When the music industry was still going, we're on a train that's never going to stop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you these know. long boxes and are really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this is a perfect. Now they to... come out of the bin. Just I don't know right. what you guys yeah. are talking about. I'm working in Casingles. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Casingles. Oh, those guys down at Casingles are crazy. All they do is party all night long. <laughs> we only have to put Jeez. one song on a cassette. Yeah. What do you guys? We have all the free uh, time in the world. Um, the wor- one of the worst things from that era of music was uh, they tried to uh, retain the picture disc quality of vinyl, but they would have. CD picture disc, yeah. which was just 
an image on a disc with no sleeve in the case. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Picture disc CD. It's like, nah, it's just a CD yeah. with, uh, with less. You got less, but yeah. paid more. Right, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so he, you know, if there's one thing Jonathan Colton hates, it's a dumb process. Right. And he just got away from it. And he was like, I don't want to do, I don't want to, I don't want to be in an, in an industry where I have to rely on these people to get my music out. Mm-hmm. And the whole touring structure at that time just seemed to him pointless. I mean, he also, you know, I, I, I'm going to say revolutionized the way people approach touring, in a, in a sense, by making sure. use of these tools early, like Eventful mm-hmm. uh, and, and other sort of like audience demand tools. And Song a Week was a genius. Of course. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, and like, so when, when the tools caught up with what he wanted to do to build an audience, to cultivate that audience, to connect with that audience... Then he was ready to, to go out there. But until then, there was only McGovern's Tuesday nights. <laughs> Late into the night, with a lot of playing of Star Trek The Next Generation pinball. Yes. And a lot of arguments over Mac versus PC a decade before I knew that, that I was going to factor into that argument in a, in a meaningful way in the culture. Because I thought about it a lot. I mean, you know, it really is an issue of you know, it, it, the the people that I would fight with who are on the PC side, like these are better computers and more powerful computers, or you can get into them more, you can customize them more, and I'm like, yeah, okay, Radio Shack, I get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I get I get that some people like to make model planes. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, but I but I from my point of view, I remember looking at a Macintosh computer and and just every cell in my body saying, I get it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I get this. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's not an issue of pure, you know, pure computing power. It's an issue of design. You know? And if you appreciate good design, it's not just how a thing looks or how shiny it is. It's how you interact with that thing. Right. And if you are able to interact with that thing intuitively, that's, I, I'm sorry, that's a big benefit. Right. You know? and, uh, and so, uh, anyway, so yes. So I, I would write Steve these mash notes uh, from time to time and not care if he ever read them or uh, I just felt like I needed to express those things and that's why I'm going to be the crazy old man at the bar who will always be talking about this ad campaign not just because I want those years back <laughs> but because I feel strongly about it so I got the iPhone and uh, and I was using it and I had just gotten it set up and of course it was the same feeling again it's like why why hasn't this been in my life all the time this, mm-hmm. everything here makes sense this is what I've always wanted out of a device like this and so I thought oh I should now that my email is set up on my iPhone I should write Steve it was 11 o'clock at night on the east coast I was you know I was lying in bed playing with it and I was like well I got the iPhone Steve thank you very much I think it's great I know you're probably getting a lot it was like iPhone day right. I'm sure you're getting a lot of emails so have a good day and I'm like well I'm just glad I added mine to the pile. Yep. And I'm falling asleep. Ding, ding. I'm like, what? And I look up and it's like, it's, it's from him. And it's like, glad you like it. What uh, ringtone do you use? <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, fuck. And, I, and I'm like, well, okay. Now, now I'm like, I have to sit up in bed, turn on the light. I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. There are two possibilities. One is that that Steve happens I happen to catch him and he's now writing me back immediately mm-hmm. two he's got to be getting thousands of emails today and other messages because it was the day that it was released mm-hmm. 
So it's possible that he has either an actual or robotic assistant. (laughs) (laughs) You know, where it's like, this is an auto-response going out. Right. Everyone gets the same question. What what ringtone do you use? Um, And... uh, and yet, I can't... I already messed up once <laughs> when I had a chance to see Steve Jobs. Sure. I can't stand him up again. Right. I can't just like... So I'm like, okay, I had to get out of bed, go over to my computer, and really think how I'm going to write a... Because he asked me a direct question. Right. So I had to come up with some good ringtone material. Do you just right answer away. it? Do you make a joke? Do you yeah. answer it and oh. then ask a question? Yeah, right. Do you exactly. engage him? Or yeah. is it just like, oh, he just wanted to know one thing? And then, uh, so I wrote, uh, well, thank you for writing back so quickly and causing me this problem. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I said, uh, nice to hear from you. Thanks for the night diarrhea. I think, uh, I think the best I could come up with was, um, I'm currently using crickets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's great, but it's a little confusing because I usually walk around with about a thousand crickets on my person, you know, actual crickets. So I don't always know whether it's a phone ringing or whether it's you know feeding time or whatever. Arm is <laughs> getting dark. Usually I walk around with a beard of crickets. Or if I'm at a bad comedy show. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. And uh, anyway, I just wanted to say thank you very much again, Steve. No need to respond. Yep. Sincerely yours, John Hodgman. I'm like, okay. Send, get back in bed. Ding, ding. Like, oh, come on. I'm kind of like mad. Just drop it already, Steve Jobs. It's too much. I'm not going to fall asleep now. I'm so worked up. And he just wrote back another note saying, glad you like it. I think he said that he likes ascending and descending. Mm-hmm. That ringtone. Uh-huh. And I just was like... Thank you again, Steve Jobs. I love you. Agreed, right? So, should I come over? <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, and then and then that was it. And we had a couple of other quick email exchanges. And you so, know. coming all around with this, the, the earlier point that you were making was you were coming out of you were coming out of these commercials, and you were coming into right. the Daily Show, and then you're coming into the third book. And just and by trying- the time of the third book, this whole dizzying journey that had informed the first book of like how did what where am I now? Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say that it was over, but it had it had it had slowed. It's you know the the novelty was gone. Mm-hmm. Now I knew what I was doing to some degree. I was working on the show. I'd been working on the show, the Daily Show for mm-hmm. you know at that point four years, mm-hmm. and the commercials had ended. And I was sort of, I felt as though I had been washed up onto some unknown island. The ride was great getting there, but now where am I? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, why is Michael Emerson staring at me? <laughs> <laughs> he must be lost. Come on, come on. Jonah, what? I, no, I, no. I, Jonah, that was a show. Don't, that, don't uh, even move. Don't even move. Don't, give that, don't return that high five. Don't do move. not he even moving. reject the up top. Here, here, here. I can, uh, I'll admit, he is a person of interest. Hey! J.J. Abrams. Wow. A little a little uh, plug for 
<laughs> from Michael Emerson's new show. I like it. I figured we could connect it. We do some favors for him, and then he can come on the show. Has he been on the show? No, no. Michael Emerson's never been on the show. Oh, you should have him on. Okay, he's wonderful. Oh well, just call him. I don't know how to get a hold of Michael Emerson. Oh, I've had cocktails with him. What? Yeah. I've been in the same uh, bar as him once, and I, I wanted to go up to him, but like, oh, I kept you, he's on very, he's very sweet. Yeah, that's what he's I was very heard. approachable yeah. and very nice. Really smart, because he's also a guy who, who, um, who you know, kind of. He'd been working well as an actor for a number of years, but he had been a commercial illustrator for years. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. He had been a commercial illustrator for years and then in Florida. And and rather late in his life, I don't want to say the exact age because if I guessed it wrong, it would be embarrassing for everybody. But, you know, well into his adult life, Mm -hmm. he was like, this is not for me. And he went and became an actor. And then, so he, you know, he, he, I remember seeing him on the, Practice. Mm-hmm. He had a great run on the practice. Not a jog, not a stroll. Right. A sprint. It was a run. Yeah. It was definitely a run. Uh, and then I was so excited when he showed up on Lost. And again, that was sort of like, for him, just another job. But it became, as I think he's just described it when he won the Emmy that year, like, you know, accidentally became his life's work. Where mm-hmm. he accidentally discovered his life's work, which was on that on that show, The Role of a Lifetime. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So he too, you know, like he—he's a guy who came to it. He's a guy who came to it later in his life, and and came to this prominence and excitement and success there's at a point more, where he could appreciate. There's a lot of appreciation when yeah. when you haven't for so long, and yeah. then oh, this is a thing. Right, yeah. right. So I was sitting in this in this bookstore in uh, in a Western Massachusetts where I I I live sometimes in my. My retreat, mm-hmm. my my survival compound in yep. Internetless Hills, Massachusetts. <laughs> my one of my other many safe houses. Yes. And I was just feeling washed up, washed up. Do you know what I mean? Like quasi literally, mm-hmm. you know, washed up on the shore, not knowing, not knowing where I am. And the ads were over, and I was mortal all of a sudden, turning forty, and I didn't know how I could write a new book of complete world knowledge. Because there was this, I knew that it was going to be the last book in the series. So how do you end complete world knowledge? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, complete world knowledge never ends. No, it does. You wrote three books of that. So long as so long. Then I realized so long as there is a world. Yes. And then I remembered, this book was going to be coming out in 2011, mm-hmm. which, if you own a calendar, you know is just a, a short year before 2012. Right. When everything goes away. When the world ends. Right. So then I realized, oh, this is this is a book of of apocalypse, <laughs> of both of personal, professional, and global apocalypse. That is wow. an interesting. Uh, that's an interesting. And then I remembered that from the beginning it was always going to be called "That Is All," and I'm like, well, that's that. I I, I realize now the title's been telling me the story. Those, those accidental creative moments are sort of fun. When it's then I stopped working on it for a year. <laughs> I was like, "Well, that's enough. Uh, I got that far." But it's funny how uh, it's funny how sometimes um, I, I, you know, I've made a couple decisions in the past few years where sure. I sort of felt like I don't know why I'm really doing this. I just feel like I'm compelled to do this. Yeah. And my manager, my friend Alex said something to me which always resonated which is your gut is smarter than your brain you you will do things sometimes and you don't know why i mean yeah. i guess that's sort of malcolm gladwell's whole like blank thing but sure. but but just the idea of 
your gut. Well, he has a he has a brain, an extra brain. He has a gut, gut brain. Yeah. yeah, he has a special gut brain yep. that uh, he has. He's a hind quito. Like the like the ood. <laughs> like the ood. He has to hold it in his. All he right. has to hold his other. Yeah. All right, nerds, don't drive into a pole. Get back on the road. He has an anterior gut brain, yeah. which uh, informs a lot of his decision making. And the, the trick with the gut brain is not to shit it out. But are you speaking metaphorically now, or are you speaking literally? Medically. Medically, yeah, yes, right, exactly. very, very dangerous. Can you yeah, ask yeah. a question? you got to hold it in. Quato, when it comes out. Quato? Quato. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice try. <laughs> Fuck. Open your mind, Mr. Quaid. Quaid. Um, but yes, it, 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 it's absolutely true. And, you know, it's like, to me, that made perfect sense. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, now I understand what I'm writing about, which is uh, my death the end of human civilization and the death of every human on the planet, right? <laughs> Just all except, that. Except it turns out for Stephen King. He, he makes it. He makes it, he makes it through. Of course. Um, in, in my imagination. Uh, but Does uh, Richard Bachman? <laughs> I didn't think about that. Should have had Stephen King fight Richard Bachman <gasps> on the ruined plains of the cursed earth. Genius. Oh, uh, well. In Bangor, Maine. In Bangor, Maine. Yeah. No, what happens in, in, my, in my book is that, um, so in the previous book I had done Today in the Past, which was a page-a-day calendar mm-hmm. in the margins of the, of the main body of the text, where I talked about a fake fact of history in each day, like mm-hmm. this day in history, but fake. Um, so for this one, I did Today in the Future, or more specifically, Today in Ragnarok. Okay. Um, and like a day-by-day account of the last year of human civilization. Okay. And what happens. And one of the things that happens long after um, the Omega Pulse, long after the Blood Wave, long after the arrival of the Ancient and Unspeakable Ones mm-hmm. um, who rise from their slumberless sleep beneath the waves sure. to drown the world in their saliva. Right. <laughs> uh, Stephen King wakes up in Bangor, Maine around early November and uh, and just has this flash of inspiration in the same way and just, you know, writes 700 new pages of The Stand. Of course. <laughs> like he's like, oh, in a day. I forgot. This had to be part of it too. Oh, crap. Yeah. yeah. And then the next day he realizes that there are no, all the publishing houses have fallen mm-hmm. and so there's, and there's no way to publish books anymore so he has to take the manuscript onto the road oh. and, and he has to walk the, the wretched Remains of America, like the Book go, of Eli, and go door to door to read. Which I assume I didn't see that movie. Yeah, I think he's he's protecting a book too. Yeah, uh, to go, but he has to go door to door to read the the new manuscript pages of the stand to all remaining Americans. <laughs> but do those people then go? Hmm, Dreamcatcher was kind of weird. I think they're just freaked out that Stephen King is showing. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because right after that settles down, they go, wow, "Hello, yeah, you're here yeah, they're Hi. like, uh, we're having a problem with cannibal gangs right now. We don't need you." <laughs> Well, I really have some interesting uh, tales to tell you. Yeah, I don't think the you know the the first version of the stand and then the extended version of the stand that were not complete. Well, my book is about a carpenter who came along yeah. and just an ordinary Joe oh, wanted Aaron. to change the world. Aaron, no, Bob, Bob Vila. Bob oh, Vila. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Vila. I thought you were going to talk about. I thought it was Property Brothers. <laughs> Was. You see that show? Have you seen Property Brothers on HGTV? <laughs> oh, more reality shows of people trying to do stuff. What do they do? They buy, buy uh, de- defaulted uh, properties? Now, here's the thing. They're identical twins. Oh! Yeah. They both have huge eyebrows. One of them dyes his hair blonde, so you can tell them apart. Okay. They're brothers. 
One of them is a real estate agent. The other one is a licensed contractor. Sure. They find people in Canada. This is a Canadian show. Sure. As most shows are for, on HGTV. Which is weird, isn't yeah, it? It's really weird. Like, I didn't House flipping in Toronto, usually. Yeah. Because <laughs> well, it costs $10 to shoot stuff in Canada. Hang on, another disgusting cough coming. I've been a little under the weather. That's all right. <coughs> all I heard was the mug. Yeah, and I'm pretty Can good. I have some more coffee, please, John? It's, uh, it's all done? It's all done. Okay. That's probably for the best. Sorry. That's okay. I hope you enjoyed yours. Yeah, I did. I <laughs> really did. How many cups did you have exactly? Two. I had two I cups. Wanted to... I had two cups. Yeah. You had one earlier, and then I, uh, I gave you another one. I freshened you up. <laughs> so two and two? It's two and two. Yeah. Did you ever top yours off? Mm-mm-mm. No, I, uh, I, I think I, maybe I, I fill saw it you up and it then I, I drink it down. And then I filled it back up, and I drank it down. Now, the sad thing is, I think we're all going to admit that these are these are diminutive cups. They're tiny. I'm very large. I'm a big guy. Yeah, he needs a lot of coffee to keep going. Anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry, John. It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. So Stephen King's going door-to-door. <laughs> Stephen King is going door-to-door, uh, reading the stand to people, mm-hmm. and then uh, encounters a, uh, a, a psychic child. Okay. And uh, and he's like, I knew you guys were out there. <laughs> I knew you guys were, were real. I knew, I knew you telepaths were, were ch- you telepathic gifted children. We weren't. It was only until after the fall of humanity. Yes, exactly. So, but that is just but one of the storylines that runs through the margins of the of the book. And so that is all. Uh, this will go up way in advance of November first, and that comes out November first. Yes, but it is available for pre-order now mm-hmm. on all the major websites. Yep. And then it comes out November first, and then I will be coming to uh, to a town near you. I hope. I know I'll we're be already to a in town. my yeah. We're I'll already. be coming to a town near you. I mean, you've already made that happen, right? On here. November fourth. Oh, I'll be in New York then. You will? Yeah, because oh. my, my, my book comes out November 1st, too, and so I am going around. But isn't that better, though? That, like, what if we were both doing book book events on November 4th in L.A.? That would be awkward. Yeah, that would be really awkward. I would just crash yours, because you'll have more people come to yours. I don't know that that's so. Yeah, I think that's so. You got it together on your website, man. <laughs> Let me tell you. Hey, man. This is the groovy links and shit pointing at stuff. No. What? Tell me about your book. Let's uh, plug your a, book now. No, we don't have to plug my book. It's a, it's but a, tell me about it. It's a, it's a productivity book for nerd-brained people. A creative obsessive types. Yeah. Like people who... Um, I, I, I get irritated a lot because people say like, uh, you don't talk about video games on your podcast. That's not very nerdy. And I'm like, guys, that is almost a racist view of what... I mean, if such a thing could exist, if nerds were a race, right? It was. It, it is. It is. Uh, it, like being nerdy to me is not about if you watch Battlestar, Star Wars, or you read Walking Dead, or or, or you know any. It's not. It's not about it's the not thing. About what you consume. It's not about what you consume. It's right. about the way. It's not about what you like. It's how you like those things. How you approach. There's a right. very specific brand mindset that I feel like ner- nerdy people have, which is that you know we have this ability to focus on things. To almost an unhealthy degree, right? And sometimes that gets in the way of things that we should be doing. We're, we're good. We're good right. small picture people. Sometimes we're not good big picture people, right? And we suffer from a lot of anxiety and depression, and, and so it's just a lot of look. Here's <laughs> <laughs> you See, this guy's so fucking nerdy. You know me so Look how nerdy this guy is. So the idea is just that um, you know, in my thirties, when I kind of got my shit together, I. Use the sort of innate 
unhealthy focusing abilities and just sort of redirected that laser into constructive areas. Sure. And and so I feel like, you know, all nerds have this innate ability to focus on things and here are some ways that I was able to sort of conquer that and get over some of those things and we're overthinkers and if we can just get out of our way if we can get out of our own way sometimes we can actually are you teaching things. nerds how not to be nerds <laughs> no i'm teaching nerds how to hone i'm teaching much in the way that that uh, cyclops was given the uh, the uh, the goggles which i'm sure have a name that i don't know that goggles, uh, goggles. i'll say goggles that uh, visor the visor, visor. yes yeah, yes just like jordy right exactly that uh but that in it, neither case is that a visor right a really visor not. is like something you wear over well your, in jordy's case it was really a hairband hairband that uh <laughs> has he been on your podcast Le, no lavar no yeah. he hasn't so that's ridiculous. but i want to i want to get him sure. i want to get him on too nice. so anyway that's that's my book and it, that it's coming up the same day but i but i'm i think you know the more I think and the, what is the title of the book? The Nerdist Way. The Nerdist Way. I mm-hmm. like it very much. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm very excited. I was. I hope people don't hate it, but I can't control that. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's, you know. I'm building a machine that will. <laughs> <laughs> if I can bring the Earth closer to Earth. Or <laughs> you can, yeah, you can affect people's brains. I can affect people's brains. Force them to like your book. Yes. Um, but there's something that I want to do as we wrap up the podcast yeah. that... Um, um, a few years ago, our mutual friend Jesse Thorne, who yes. was the Sound of Young America, Jordan Jesse Go, a, a brilliant. Um, does he refer to himself as a raconteur? I don't know. Seems like he would. He's a multi hyphenate. A, a, a podcast mogul. Yes. Yeah. Um, Coughing coming. <coughs> where was he? Pardon me. Do it now. Okay. Okay. Um, he we when we when we did in, in when did Max FunCon yes. up in the isolated mountains of uh, California right where we almost died driving up through uh, billows of fog yes that uh, my, that's I, billows I, and pillows at the UCLA conference and retreat center yep. or then it was known as that yeah now it is known as Hodgman's compound number five I thought it was Max Stay Fun out. Camp What's oh that? that's <laughs> well I liked it so much I you bought, bought a safe compound. <laughs> It's, I, it's I pretty, could use this. There was safe town. There was yeah, the one, exactly, the one exactly. night, like one, one of my. I'm also, I'm also buying the Port Marion uh, Resort Village in Wales, where they shot the prisoner. <laughs> is it? Oh, yeah. I mean, He's not really buying it. I wish you would. I've always wanted to go there. I'm just, I just lead the the humble, simple life. Now that my ads are over, I'm just, I just going the to humble, buy simple life the village of a deranged millionaire, <laughs> which you did for the They Might Be Giants yes. uh, video series. Yes, you played the the crazy billionaire. That was the deranged millionaire was was my character then, as it is now. Yes, yes. I, I like that that a life is imitated art in that way. Yes, and that you now have the, weird, the ability. The weirdness to... became. Look, I don't want to talk about my finances, but no. I have millions of dollars. Yeah, in this room to play around yeah. in yes. this room, and I can buy Port Marion just like that. That would be amazing. Now, am I a number or am I a free man? Uh, oh, well, hang on. Put what, on what number put on would this I be? Bla- put on this blazer with wide white piping. Oh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yes, you look more like a number mm, mm, 39. Oh, no, that's not good. Right. Yeah. That puts me low on the totem pole. Yeah. Well, where well, are the people are there? You don't know that. Be seeing you. Ah. Uh, um, okay, so, so we're, we're at Max Fun. Company. One of my favorite experiences in my life, and I mean this sincerely... Um, is being after the after we did our shows for the night, and all the campers gone to bed. You you were in this great little cabin house, and um, it was you and and Colton and Merlin Mann and another friend of ours named Scott Simpson. Yes, and Mike Furman. Yes, and we played the game 
that you brought to our attention, which when I met Justin Long, I told him about it, and he goes, Hodgman got that from me. Yes, I did. So I credited him then, too. I can't remember. I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember. Justin but, Long, on the set of the Apple ads, introduced this game. I don't even know. What, it has different names, but the names are dumb, so I'm not going to... Sure. But the idea is that you, 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 you find movie titles. Mm-hmm. And I guess you could use... Any titles, titles. Novels, plays, sure. musicals. Sure. That that could be taken as a euphemism uh, for defecation. Yes. And we played that game for about three hours. Pro- probably, I think, the, 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 the one that best exemplifies this is the movie Operation Jumbo Drop. Uh, the Double Drop. Right. The Elephant Movie. The Elephant Movie or euphemism for defecation. <laughs> We played that game, and I went to bed, and I couldn't shut it off. I could not shut it off. And I played this game with Colton when he came on the podcast. Oh, right, okay. Uh, but uh, Grease was one of my favorites. Uh, Black Dynamite was another one. Oh, the Green Mile. The Green Mile. Black Snake Moan. Yep, Rock of Ages. Oh. What? <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> that thing you do? Oh. Uh, Precious Space in the Novel Push by Sapphire. <laughs> That's not yours. I don't know. I don't know if it is. I think maybe it is. I don't know. Well, you came up with it. I guess I did. I guess I did. Oh. Uh, Why do we have to do this? Buggin starring John Leguizamo. (laughs) Oh, right. The pest. (laughs) (laughs) That's when it uh, it just doesn't let go. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. I'm sure the brown bunny would have come up at some point. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of some brown bunny's really long and boring, and you don't really get much out of it when you're done. (laughs) That's right. Gross. Did I really start? I started this. And Chloe Sevigny will blow you. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. What are some? uh, Let me let me just focus on the realm of musicals. (laughs) Musical theater. (laughs) Well, now I'm way out of my depth there. I don't really know. uh... Avenue Q doesn't work. Book of Mormon doesn't work. No. Uh, Carousel, no. Young Frankenstein? <laughs> Young Frankenstein. <laughs> We're getting somewhere there. The Who's Tommy? Yes. I, I like throwing the Who the Who in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how it was on Broadway. The Who's Tommy? <laughs> Just Tommy. Just naming it. <laughs> Just giving it a name. So albums, albums are a pretty good one to do as well. You do uh, never mind when you think you're gonna go and you don't. <laughs> I like the uh, the explanation of it. I like I like the explanation too. It's fun. I don't know any album titles. Uh, number one, the Beatles' greatest hit. <laughs> number one. Well, that's either number two. Would be yeah, better. number yeah. two. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, okay, musical theater isn't working for me. What else? What else is out there? But books. Uh, books. Hey, that is all. Oh, thank you. Also, also the area of expertise. <laughs> Available November first. Should be November second. Should be. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good place to wrap it up. I pooped another one out, everybody. <laughs> It's only my life's work. (laughs) A little bit of brain poop.
<laughs> Thank you very much. Yes. I'm sorry that I wasn't more productive on the uh, on the pooping jokes. I think you did an amazing job. Look, I did what I could. I, I feel like there's one great musical out there. Oklahoma, no. What's the one that I'm thinking of? Um, Lion King? Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark? <laughs> Wicked? <laughs> Wicked. <laughs> uh, uh, no. no. Musicals are Guys surprisingly... Guys and dolls? No, it doesn't work, you would think. Musicals are surprisingly poop-proof. Yeah, yeah they really are. So they, they made a... They, Maybe one of your listeners will send in some suggestions. Oh, I'm sure they will. Yeah, right. I'm sure we'll get some good musicals. You're a good man, Charlie I, Brown. I, I don't. That's uh, perfect. There you go. There You're a good man, Charlie Brown. Oh, boy. That took wow. a lot out of me. <laughs> it probably, probably feels like you just <laughs> passed a huge... Whoa. Oh, my God. You really took a godfather, though. Okay, okay, whoa. Right now, right now your, brain is, two. your brain is <laughs> distended a little bit from pushing. You need a minute to recover. Uh, How did this become this? How did this become this? That, it's that's a, my next the nervous podcast. Yeah, we're in your I safe. We're in your safe suite. We're in your panic suite. I'm in the panic suite. Yeah. Thank you guys for coming over. Enjoy yeah. your burrito, everyone. My feral that's butter right will show you out. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, please put me down. Take them out. And don't kill John Hodgman. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Don't. Please don't. If you meet me on the road, say hello. Don't kill me. <laughs> kill him with, with kindness. Exactly. Well, don't well, say you're welcome. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, just, just say hello and don't, <laughs> don't touch me in any way. No. Please don't. Yeah. Don't manhandle or touch the Hodgman. Exactly. So good. Thank you. Good night. That is all. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. <laughs> This episode of the Nerdist Podcast was brought to you by GoToMeeting, now with HD faces. For your free 30-day trial, visit GoToMeeting.com and enter the promo code NERDIST. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.